0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers, Leaders, and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters. And I'm changing the name of the podcast to Product Mastery Now. The name's coming soon and you don't need to do anything different to keep listening, but it will show up differently in your podcast player, not as the Everyday Innovator, but as Product Mastery Now. The logo will essentially look the same, so it should be easy to find. This episode has two of my favorite things. First, our guest is describing how he got started with jobs to be done and how you can use this valuable tool yourself. Second, he is also the co-founder of Product Collective and the co-organizer of Industry, the conference for software product managers. Industry has a virtual conference coming up on April 20th and 21st, and it is worth checking out by going to industryconference.com. This is not a sponsored podcast. I just want you to know this is a valuable opportunity. Check it out at industryconference.com. Our guest is Mike Belsitu. Before his current work, he had a number of product rules and experiences giving him insights that can help all of us. And remember, if you hear anything that you want to go back to, we take detailed notes for you. Those notes are also a great way to share this information with colleagues. Find all that information at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 328. You'll also find a one-page action guide at the same place, theeverydayinnovator.com slash 328 to help you and your team put these concepts into action. Now, let's talk with Mike. Mike, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thank you so
0: much for having me. This is a lot of fun. I'm glad to be here.
1: I'm glad you are, too. And you're going to be the first guest I tell this to, which is the podcast name is actually changing to product masters now. Oh, so that that's coming soon. So we might talk All more right. about that later. I love it. I love it. Thanks for letting me in on the secret. Yeah, you know, first guest to know, Product Masters now. And we got connected a a few times in the past. One is I am a listener to Rocketship FM, which you helped co-host there. And also industry, you're involved with that. And we can talk more about this towards the end, but just give us a a quick oversight of industry and your involvement there.
0: Yeah, well, so... I'm the co-founder of Product Collective and we're the organizers of Industry, the product conference. And we like to think of Product Collective as a community for product people and. Industry is sort of the place where we gather in person, or these days, virtually, I should say. Right. But we, we started it back in 2015. We actually started with the conference first. We did it completely backwards, how most people would, would you know, usually you think of building up a community. And then once it's big enough, okay, what are some things we could do for the community? Let's launch a conference. We started with the conference. But really... It was because we were product people that felt like we didn't know what we were doing and liked learning through other product people. And so we figured very selfishly, you know, what if we could figure out a way to bring some of the best product people to us here in Cleveland, Ohio? And so we created a conference that at the time it was totally on the side. We both had full-time roles doing other things in product and put on the first edition of Industry back in 2015 here in Cleveland, Ohio. And Mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it seemed like so many of the people that came, they were looking for this sort of thing. And so it's kind of blossomed from there, where now, you know, the Cleveland conference that we put on every fall is, is our big one. I mean, the last time we did have an in person conference. I think we had over twelve hundred people for it. But we have a European edition. Obviously, twenty twenty, you know, th- things were a little weird. So we we no in person edition. At least in Cleveland, we had a we had our virtual edition. First virtual for industry in in the fall, last fall. But aside from the conference, we do a number of other things. You mentioned I co host Rocketship FM, which is a lot of fun. Like you, you know, I, I love podcasting and talking to product people and sort of combines those two things and but we also do uh, live video chats we call them industry interviews where people can tune in live and and take part in the conversation we have an online job board Uh, we have a slack group so all sorts of things to really help product people
1: Yeah, industry popped up on my radar only because you guys emailed me once. And I don't know actually if that, I don't recall if that was you, Mike, or someone else about the, this new conference that was going to be in Ohio. And you were inviting product management podcasters to come kind of cover Uh the, the event. And I unfortunately had a trip scheduled to the East Coast and couldn't make it, but I'm hoping to be in person at one in the future. So we are going to talk about a practical topic for product managers. It's a tool I very much like called Jobs to be Done. And this has been expressed many different ways. If you're listeners, if you're completely new to it, you might just go and do a YouTube search on uh, milkshake Clayton Christensen, Mm -hmm. and you'll find a, a very entertaining and good discussion of it. But we're going to talk through this tool a little bit, how to just kind of approach it. And first off, how did you get interested in Jobs to be Done?
0: Yeah, you know, I think the first time I ever heard the term "jobs to be done," you know, it was probably one of those things where I saw all the cool kids in product talking about it, and I, you know, me again feeling like, gosh, I don't know what I'm doing as a product person. I wanted to learn more and and figure out what everybody was talking about. So, you know, it's that's probably how I first heard of the term. What I will say is, we uh, at Product Collective got connected to Bob Mesta, and Bob is the president and CEO of the Rewired Group, and He's, you know, I guess it's probably fair to call him one of the early pioneers of jobs to be done. I don't, I don't know that any, I don't know who you would say necessarily quote unquote invented jobs to be done, but Bob was one of the, one of the early people that was really championing the concept. And we had Bob at our conference very early on, actually the very first conference we put on. And Bob is somebody that we just became friends with and got to know real well. He's another Midwest guy. You know, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. He's in near Detroit, Michigan. And so Bob's really the one that really kind of caused me to sort of take a really closer look and really try to learn what it meant and and ultimately, you know, start to put some of those things in practice.
1: Yeah, real good. And so and I think part of the story is Bob helped industry applied, applied jobs to be done, trying to understand more deeply why people come to the conference and what they want
0: Absolutely. Yeah. What happened was back in industry, I think it was industry 2017, Bob was speaking and you know, he's spoken at a few of our editions. Now he kind of takes industry up as like a, a bit of a residence, if you will. And I, I love it because we'll, we'll always have Bob back when we can. But I remember backstage talking with Bob and he was asking me about interviews that we do with our own customers. And I told him, well, yeah, we do customer interviews, but I don't call them jobs be done interviews because I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to jobs to be done. So, but but I love learning from customers. We do these customer interviews all the time. And Bob said, "Well, let's go back to that a minute. Like, why do you why do you say that? You know, you don't know what you're doing when it comes to jobs to be done." And I said, "Well, you know, it it to me it just seems something that like as a concept it I get it, but it seems kind of complex to really get started. I I don't feel like I know what I'm doing." And he said, "Well, what if what if I were to?" sit down with you and interview your customers with you you know might might you be open to that and i'm like yeah bob i'd be open to that for sure i mean here's bob mesta one again one of the early pioneers of jobs you've done basically asking us if we're open to him helping us understand this better by interviewing our customers so we i remember right after that conference it might've been the first email I sent was back to Bob saying, hey, thanks again for coming to industry. By the way, I don't know if you remembered offering this, but we'd love to take you up on it. And before I knew it, Uh, My partner, Paul and I were, were at Bob's office in Michigan, really just, we spent a whole day with him, just kind of learning and and just spending time with Bob. And then, yeah, later on, Bob actually helped us by interviewing some of our own customers. And that's what really sort of shined a light and and Mm -hmm. helped me understand how you like, yes, it can be something that might be complex to understand, but really it it isn't as complex as people might think. And to just get started with it, just take those first Mm -hmm. steps and get started. That doesn't have to be so hard.
1: Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about, what some of those first steps are. And just in terms of history, because we've interviewed some of the other people related to jobs to be done, the, the story is, and I have this straight from Tony Allwick, that he had responded to Clayton Christensen to say, hey, I think I have a solution for your innovator's dilemma when that book came out. yeah, And they got together and talked about this framework. And Christensen is the one that gave it a name. He's the one that called it jobs to be done. And Tony had the tools to support it. And then I hear Bob's name all the time, and I don't know how he fits into this mix, but he was certainly an early user of it. Did he happen to share his Snicker candy bar versus the Milky Way candy bar story with you?
0: Yeah, he. I mean, he has in the past, and I would be. I. I again, I don't want to sort of. Ju- At this point, it'd probably be telephone game if I if I tried to sort of recall <laughs> that story.
1: <laughs> i 'll ask you for your own example, but but what I love yeah. about that example is when you go in, in his case, he was stopping people first in in the airport at the you know the convenience store in the airport and simply trying to find out you know why did you choose a snicker bar or why did you choose a milky way and there 's a bigger story about why he was doing this but but we make those choices for very different reasons, and what he found was and this would be true for me too. A Snicker bar fills me up. Milky Way, it's more rich and indulging, right? Yeah. And so they're both candy bars, but there's different reasons. How about you kick us off with your example of applying jobs to be done, and that would give us a feel for why this is important.
0: Yeah, I will do that. And, but by the way, I'll, going back to Bob, I will tell you that if you happen to spend time with Bob around other people, he, he will do those jobs to be done interviews all the time. I remember being backstage at Industry Europe and Bob was it was Bob was sitting right next to Peldy who's the founder and CEO of balsamic and he starts asking Peldy questions. I think about his his mobile phone and all of a sudden I'm like, wait Bob's interviewing Peldy Bob is putting <laughs> Peldy through a job speed done interview It's just something he does all the time. So it's funny that airport story like I'm not surprised by it I pro- he probably does that every year, you know, that same exact scenario. But, but you, you would ask me about my own personal experiences. It's funny because, you know, you, again, you mentioned, you know, candy bars and yet we're on a podcast that, you know, where we're talking about technology products, right? Or, and, and even my conference, you know, I run a technology conference, but what I love about Jobs Be Done is it's not something that just applies to technology or it's only relevant for tech products. When I tried to sort of figure out how it's relevant. I just looked at my own personal life. And for me, wasn't so much candy bars as it was pizza. You know, I actually oh. don't eat a ton of candy bars, but we I eat a lot of pizza. pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't? Right. So, you know, when I live in Lakewood, Ohio, I mean, we probably have a dozen different Pizzerias, right? It's it's there's fifty thousand people in Lakewood. It's a inner ring suburb. Pizza is just this go to, right? So here in Lakewood, though, of the dozen, you know, I'll kind of give you two of them as an example. There's this place called uh, Angelo's Pizza, neighborhood pizzeria. It is it's like Lakewood personified. When I have friends come in from out of town. They always ask about Angelo's because they've heard stories how Tom Hanks, you know, when he's in town, rents it out. And Tom Hanks actually used to live in Lakewood at one point. and And it's true. Um, and it's just great pizza. But there's also places like Little Caesars. Little Caesars is a chain. You know, it's sort of like the fast food of pizza, if you will. They don't. They don't even make it. I mean, I think you, you probably can get them to, to make it on order, but usually you just walk in and you see a pizza sitting on the shelf and you say, I'll have that pepperoni pizza right there. And they just hand it to you. Right. So when I was thinking about jobs to be done and, and my life with pizza here in Lakewood, it's funny because if somebody were to ask me, well, okay, what's your go-to pizza place? I would like to think that people that knew me best wouldn't say, it's Little Caesars, you know, they wouldn't strike me as a Little Caesar, or I wouldn't, you know, strike them as a Little Caesars guy. But I will tell you the answer is actually that it depends, because when I am rushing home from my eight year old son's soccer practice and I know that my son has to take a shower, we have to make sure that he's in bed, but you know, at a reasonable time because there's school the next day. we're not going to Angelo's because Angelo's could take an hour long, right? I know that just going in to grab that pizza from the Little Caesars, knowing that I could be home and we could be eating pizza all within 10 minutes. Like that is why I'm going to choose Little Caesars that time. On the other hand, if it's friends from out of town that are visiting and they want that taste of Lakewood, I'm not getting Little Caesars, right? I'm I'm getting Angelo's because again, Angelo's is Lakewood personified. So the reason I share those two examples is – Context matters so much. You know, it's not so much that I'm making the decision on what to order pizza because of the toppings or because of the ingredients. You know, one is just better than the other. It, it's the circumstances and, you know, linking it all back to our work in technology. The people that are buying our products, it, they're buying our products because It depends, right? It depends on their specific situation. And that's what I love about Jobs to be Done. I mean, Jobs to be Done is really a framework for understanding how and why people choose our products. You know, why are they buying and using our products? And so I, I like thinking of these sort of simple, you know, real world examples, like in my case, pizza, because it just sort of plays out how it actually can be relevant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just to drill into that a little bit more. So in both cases, we're getting pizza. It's probably not that one is phenomenally better than the other it might be somewhat better, right? But you're getting pizza, which is satisfying a hunger and, and I need food. And I want pizza, but very different contexts, like you said, right? So why would you choose the, the local place that is known in the town? If you say you were having friends come visit, what's driving
0: that choice over another choice? Yeah, because at the at the end of the day, it's not really that the 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 job I'm hiring them for, so to speak, right? That yeah. sort of language of jobs be done isn't that we all need fed. It's that I want to show my friends Lakewood mm. and I want to sh- I could I could do that by driving them around town, but I could do that through a meal. And for them, you know, serving Angelos to them is my way of showing them Lakewood. And it's it's again, it, it not it's not really about us getting fed it's about me entertaining my friends it's about me giving them the experience that i want them to have when they come and visit my house and you know maybe remember once they've left and that is really what i'm buying when i go to angelo's at least in that specific situation there's other situations where that's not the job i'm hiring angelo's for right like there's date night with my wife i i'm really looking for you know the ambiance and environment this back when date nights were a thing by the way right (laughs) right (laughs) back back pre-covid but you know every thursday night i used to have a date night with my wife and i wanted that environment where we could actually have a real conversation without sort of chaos going on in the background and and angelo's would give us that you know angelo's is again fun little neighborhood place that it just has that neighborhood charm it's a different job than even when we're having friends over but But it serves that purpose, too. So, yeah, in in both examples, we are getting pizza, but that's just sort of something in common between the two. The the pizza itself isn't really, you know, feeding us isn't even necessarily the job I'm hiring it for, to be honest.
1: We'll talk more with Mike in a moment. Being more effective and improving performance, that's what product VPs and CPOs want of their product managers. And there are many pressures driving this, including creating better products in less time to beat the competitors. That is why I created the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. This is a nine-week journey, meeting virtually for 75 minutes a week. I take groups of product managers and organizations on this journey, building a broad foundation of product management knowledge, getting everyone moving together while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer. It's not just training. It's an entire experience. Product managers feel empowered and more confident about their work and how they create value for their customers and the organization. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at theeverydayinnovator.com Innovator.comslash RPM. They're choosing it because the RPM experience is unique. It's unlike any other training you've seen because it actually creates buy-in that results in real change and improvement. Check it out at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. And let's talk to understand if it will help you and your objectives with your team. Now, back to Mike. One of my hats is university professor and when I teach entrepreneurial classes, and this is true for product managers I talk to as well, we somehow repel a little bit against the notion of not casting out our, our prospects or who we want to be a customer really widely. Mm-hmm. And I'm always focused on, well, who are you actually serving? Who's your ideal customer? Right, and in, the, in this pizza case, you know, Little Caesars might say, "Well, we we sell pizza to everyone that needs food, right? That, that that's our audience. We, you know, and maybe within that, people that love pizza. And that's a too wide of a net, and you're going to miss out. And if you target specifically and say, uh, as they do, this is where you can pick up pizza fast, right? And mm-hmm. and come get pizza, pizza, because that's always right, pizza, pizza <laughs> from us. It, it's different, right? And it changes how you approach the customer, and also changes actually what you provide for them. So understanding the details of what job the customer wants done is really helpful. And as you, as I heard you talk about this, you talked through some different elements of this. I also want to make sure we have time to talk about actually doing yeah. that interview, right, that Bob helped you figure it out. Yeah. But maybe you want to cover a few elements with us, and then we'll get into the how do you construct, construct an interview.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, understanding those elements, it is essential before really conducting that interview. So, you know, we'll touch up on it here. I definitely invite listeners to go in and, and dig in a little bit on this. I mean, you don't need to read a whole textbook on it, but it, you do want to understand some of the terms. And, and some of those terms include understanding what a struggling moment is. So a struggling moment, I, I like to think of it. This is not the Bob Mesta approved definition of it, but if you were to ever watch one of those infomercials and it could be on anything, but you know, it's usually it's some sort of ridiculous product, like somebody's eating a bowl of cereal and they're acting like, you know, you can't eat a bowl of cereal. The cereal spills all over and they say, I, w- I wish there was a better way. I wish there was a, you know, and then they introduce some crazy product like a weighted bowl for, for cereal. So it doesn't spill, but that I wish it w- there was a better way to me. That's a struggling moment. That's sort of like a struggling moment personified where it is, it is this pain that is you're, you're now living with. And it's so painful that you need to find that better way. So understanding that struggling moment first is, is really important. And this could be for our current products. It could just be the customers we're trying to serve. Maybe we don't even have a product quite yet, but we know that we want to serve the certain customer base. Understanding what their struggling moment truly is, is really important. And it's, and, and Bob likes to say it, that struggling moment is the basis of innovation. Innovation happens because of that struggling moment, so that it, that would be one sort of term I would I would want to make sure folks understand. But then also there's the push and the pull, and then there's also anxiety and inertia. The push, th- this is something that when we feel that pain and we finally are in a place where we say, "All right, there does have to be a better way," and the status quo is just not okay anymore. The status quo has to, like, I'm not going to live in this in this uh, situation anymore. That's the push that we're feeling, that we're feeling a push to get us to a new solution at some point. The pull is when we actually hear of that new solution somehow, some way, you know, for me, it might've been like going back to that serial example, maybe in watching that TV commercial, maybe I've, I have felt that pain as ridiculous as it might seem, but I see that commercial. That's now the pull for me. And I, I now see that end solution in sight. And maybe I'm going to pick up the phone and, and buy that product. Maybe not, but but right now I see it, and I can envision what life would be like with this new solution. That's the pull. Now, one might think, okay, so then it, that the natural next step would just be you buy that product. You you're hiring that product to to solve that pain, right? But but this is where anxieties and inertia come into play. Anxieties would be where you start to have this internal conversation, almost making excuses for why this can't work. Now, the cereal bowl, there could be some anxieties. I like to also think of back when I was a product person, I first heard of Slack. Um, Slack is is something that we're all using now, but I remember at first when I was living in a world of constant meetings and constant emails and Slack was sort of positioned as this email killer. and, And I felt that pull for sure. You know, I started reading those articles but then the anxieties I felt was, okay, but if I were to introduce this in my company, am I gonna be the one to have to train everybody? And what if <laughs> like what if it doesn't go so well? Like now I'm gonna be the one that said, thanks, Mike, you made us buy this whole new tool and now you know people aren't using it the right way. Those are anxieties. Those those anxieties can build up and they could prevent us from getting to that end solution, sort of moves us back on the timeline. And inertia is when you got to a point where it's just it stops altogether. Maybe in the Slack example, I would say, you know what? that it's just too much of a risk for me at my company to put myself out on a limb for this product that hasn't really been proven quite yet. I'm not going to do it. I'll just live this life with emails and and constant meetings. And at that point, you know the, the customer is never going to get to that end solution. So the reason why this is all important is when we get to a jobs to be done interview, some people ask the question, well, what's the difference between the jobs to be done interview and any other customer interview? Jobs to be done interview Is something where you're able to after that interview you're actually able to identify all of those things so in your customer interviews if you end that interview and you can actually go back and identify what was the struggling moment what was the push what was the pull what's the anxiety what's the inertia Then great, because guess what? You're already doing jobs to be done interviews, even if you didn't realize it. But for a lot of people, they they might have gotten a lot of great information, but they didn't necessarily uncover those pieces of information. And so that's what makes a jobs to be done interview so special is we're actually uncovering all of those pieces of information.
1: Appreciate going through the elements there because there's so much in there to help us make a better product and make a better experience, right? If we can identify the anxieties people feel, we can address them. And if we know where the inertia becomes so much that they stop taking action, well, maybe we can add a service that makes that easier for them to adopt our our product. Absolutely. So lots of important elements to consider. So let's dive into the actual interview part. Let's start with the planning piece, right? So you kind of gave us a, a hint there, I think, on this was as we're planning the interview. We want to uncover those those elements. Yes. But, but how how do we plan to do the actual interview?
0: Yeah, I mean, so first things first is identifying who you're going to interview, and mm-hmm. and this was at least the advice given to us from Bob, which is just as long as it, somebody isn't a you know insane outlier for you, you know, maybe you keep the outliers off, but as you know, you, it doesn't necessarily need to be a power user or you know, your, your top customer or anything like that. It's just, and they, they don't even have to be customers, right? They could be right. cu- people that don't use our products today, but they experience the same problems. As long as they're not outliers, they should be candidates. We actually, so the way that Bob helped us do these interviews is that we blocked off two full hours. Now, not for the full interview, but it was a half an hour of sort of the pre-interview where we're able to, to really not even come up with a script because really the, the interview sort of will let it flow itself out, but identifying, okay, what are the areas that we want to we want to make sure we're capturing what that push is, what that pull is, the anxiety. Like here are things that we want to make sure we know about this particular user. So it's sort of a again, not a not a list of questions, but it's a list of things we're trying to accomplish. And then the interview, Bob actually pushed us to get a full hour with our customers, with our, with the people that we were interviewing. And this is where I always went wrong. I would always say, you know, customer interview, maybe I'll book 20 minutes because our customers are busy. They don't have a lot of time, you know, but just, so just 20 minutes, at least it's something. But Bob said, no, look like ask for an hour and you know, you you might be surprised people might give it to you. And they did, you know, in the, in the times that we've asked and maybe not everybody, maybe if we would ask for 20 minutes, maybe we'd had more people willing to do it, but there were customers that we were able to get to sit down for an hour. And then there's a 30 minute post session where we're reviewing it all. And that's important too, because things are going to be Coming up in that interview that you want to, you know, get into your notes while it's fresh. You don't, you don't want to kind of forget about maybe things that were said that maybe didn't necessarily make it into your notes, but in conversation afterwards, you're able to pull that out. So, so first things first is starting with the sort of preparation and then. Yeah. And then getting right into the interview. And I think the big takeaway for me here, and one thing that we never did well until, you know, Bob helped us, you know, with these initial interviews, these jobs to be done interviews is he dug so deep, like that hour went by pretty Mm -hmm. fast because he would dig so deep with a customer. And just as an example, I remember we interviewed this one person who was a self-identified product person, but his actual title was user onboarding lead. And he, he wanted to get into product or rather, you know, get a product's dedicated role eventually. And so coming to industry was one of his ways to learn. And I remember asking in the interview, or at least Bob asked the question like, okay, so why did you buy that ticket to industry? And, you know, the rationale was like, well, you know, I, I wanted to learn from the best and, you know, meet other people. And I would have probably said, okay, cool. And uh, so next question. But Bob said, well, okay, no, wait, 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 hold up on that a minute. You, you wanted to... Learn from the best, what do you mean by that? Like who is the best? and so we're able to hear in Matt's own words, Matt was the person who we interviewed. We were able to hear in his own words, what did he mean by the best? You know what did he mean by learn? Did he not know these things? Was he completely new to product? And the more that Bob pushed, you know he just kept asking why and why We uncover the the reality that at this company that Matt was working for, this person we were interviewing. It was his boss that was really pushing himself to, to own what it meant to be a product person and to really come back and, and bring that into his company. So he was, he was actually feeling that push from his boss. You know, it wasn't really anything else, but we, I wouldn't have uncovered that to be honest with you, but it was because Bob sort of kept pushing and kept drilling. And, and the way he put it to us is that he's like, look, we have to act as if we are documentary filmmakers and we're trying to uncover the story. And sometimes what people initially tell you, that's not the whole story. So we need to go and capture that story. And that was a big learning for us. I'm glad you provided an example of what Bob
1: said, because I wanted to follow up with, you know, when you're digging deep and you're basically asking why a lot, at some point it's easy, well, I should say easy, but you can kind of run out of a path. And having That been with someone with experience in this is really helpful because there probably is a handful of questions that kind of go to, you know, how how do you dig deeper, right? And a simple one is, well, what do you mean by that, right? Or maybe, well, tell me another time that you encountered that problem, right? Uh, How did you solve it then? Or or what was the outcome? So asking those questions and get deep, uh, deep understanding is really, really good. And I like the analogy, be a documentary filmmaker,
0: I loved it too. It helped me sort of put it into context. And I'll just tell you though, it's uncomfortable, like to to do it the way that Bob was doing it. And now the way that we try to do it, I'm not, I'm still not an expert at it, right? I'm still, I'm a practitioner. You know, I'm, I'm still learning as I go here, but it's uncomfortable. You know, it's, it's our, my, my instinct is to accept that answer at face value and move on. But I think what Bob helped me realize is, again, that answer, that's not necessarily, you know, face value isn't the whole story. And so we need to get to that whole story because it, it, it makes a big impact on, you know, the end result. We're doing these interviews because ultimately we want to do something with this. Like the the end goal isn't to do the interview. The end goal is to uncover information that then we can use. And that's what I loved about, these, and we only did honestly a handful of interviews before we first started implementing some changes and some of those changes ended up making a big impact for us. So I think, you know, people should do as many as they can and honestly just keep doing them. You know, maybe you're able to focus on different problems. And so therefore those interviews are going to uncover different things. But the, the thing I loved about it is that even in just a handful of interviews, you're going to start to uncover things that you might be able to actually put into practice right away.
1: It's really good. Did, did you find yourself as you were involved in these having to get more comfortable with silence? What, 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 did this come up as you ask questions some of the time?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 sometimes silence can be one of those things that is actually quite powerful when you leave this pause and you just wait. Mm-hmm. You you just wait until you the other person you know decides to say what they're going to say it's very easy to try to fill that silence. So yeah, that is, that is part of the uncomfortability, at least, you know, in my opinion with it. But, and that's one of those things that I feel like you get more comfortable just the more practice you have at it.
1: Good, so thank you very much for taking us through a good summary of jobs to be done, why it is important, the elements we're looking for when we do those interviews, and then just simply doing the planning, thinking about the outcomes that you want, what you're trying to get to. And during the interview keep going deep ask why and what and get specifics as much as you can that's great as listeners know we like innovation quotes around here what did you bring for us and, and kind of explain that to us a little bit to what it means to you
0: yeah I, so the the quote that i'll share is that no one can stop you from doing exactly what you want to do if you can accept that the cavalry won't come and if you can be the cavalry, it gives you a chance to be happy. That quote is actually from Mark Duplass, who's uh, actually not a tech entrepreneur. He's an indie filmmaker. He's he's made and started in a, a lot of awesome movies that I I enjoy. What I really like about that, and why I think it's actually relevant to all of us as product people, especially as entrepreneurs. Sometimes there's this notion that you know if if we can only you know, get that one investor to invest in us, or if we can only get that one customer, that landmark customer, and we're, we're, we might find ourselves waiting for that investor waiting for that landmark customer. But if if, when they come, you know, things will get better. And to me, this quote is about not waiting, because guess what, Mm -hmm. the cavalry isn't coming, we have to be that cavalry, we have to we have to be the ones that can put our own, you know, put everything into practice. We have to be the ones that sort of create our own path, especially as a bootstrapped entrepreneur. I love the quote because it means that really we're responsible for our own success. Not, we, we can't wait on anybody else to, to make that success happen. We have to rely on ourselves for that. So even though, you know, when Mark probably gave that quote, he's, he's talking to a room of, of filmmakers, but as an entrepreneur myself, yeah, I took a lot out of that. And so
1: I just wanted to share that here as well. And the filmmaker perspective ties in well to what we were just talking about, too. Absolutely. Documentary filmmakers. So. That's right. I like that quote, uh, do what you can to take things into your own hands. And I like that it doesn't, he did go out on the limb of saying it makes you happy. It gives you the chance, right? It gives you the chance That's to right. be happy, the chance to move forward. So excellent. Okay, we talked about industry a little bit, product collective, Rocketship FM. Tell people how they can find out about the work you're doing and if they want to reach out and make a connection.
0: Yeah, I mean, so certainly you could, you could learn more about Product Collective at productcollective.com, industryconference.com. You could learn more about that. I'm also, you know, active on Twitter and LinkedIn. My, my Twitter handle is just at Belsito, B E L S I T O. My name's Mike Belsito, so you could definitely look me up on LinkedIn and, and find me there as well. And yeah, I, I'm always up for talking products. So, Connect with me there. We'd love to have you as a part of Product Collective. If you're looking for community of product people to join, we hope to hope to see you there.
1: Excellent. Mike, thank you so much for being with us, sharing the information on Job is to be Done and the wonderful resources for product managers.
0: Thank you so much, Chad. I really appreciate being on the show. Thanks, again for listening to
1: the podcast that will soon be known as Product Mastery Now. This is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Find all the details that we talked about with Mike at TheEverydayInnovator.com slash 328 along with that one-page action guide.
0: Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit the everydayinnovator.com.